0: Welcome to the Takeaway Podcast, where we cover the NBA and the NFL every single Wednesday, bringing you the most up-to-date news across both leagues for both sports nerds and newcomers alike. I am your host, Hun Lee, and today we will be covering the first day of the NBA. Alongside is Russ having some troubles in the offense in Denver, as well as the Super Bowl competitors of the Buffalo Bills in the Kansas City chiefs as we mentioned before the nba has officially begun we have had our first two games between the philadelphia 76ers and the boston celtics and the los angeles lakers and the golden state warriors so let's start with the first game of the night which was the sixers and the celtics which the celtics came away with a 126 to 117 win now watching this game uh the kind of takeaway that i got from this game is james harden is back he's healthy he looks to be a lot more comfortable in this offense which is what something which was something that doc rivers actually addressed in one of the interviews he had during the game and he was basically alluding to how james harden uh he's been given more freedom on the offensive end where he's able to be more of what he was in Houston, not necessarily like a ball hog, uh, or in that sense, not not at all. If you were actually able to watch his game, he was running pick and rolls with Embiid, uh, with Montrezl Harrell, uh, I, his uh, um, um, bounce passes in between the uh the the defender who was defending the roller, and then obviously the defender who was on him. It was just. Uh, he was able to to move the ball around. He was able to distribute to everyone who need who, who you know to just distribute the ball, uh, have the his teammate touch the ball. Uh, him alongside Tyrese Maxey, they looked really really good together. It was like one two punch where it was like your turn, my turn. But uh, for those who you know weren't able to watch the game, for a quick summary of what happened, uh, James Harden came away with the game with thirty five points, uh, seven assists. Eight rebounds. Uh, he was 100 percent from the free throw line with 12 total. Uh, he shot five of nine from the three point line and nine of 14 from the field. So he was really, really efficient. He was able to get to the line. He had 12 free throws, which was uh, uh, it's a lot for him. Uh, not not necessarily when he was at Houston, but when he was at Brooklyn, when he was at or when he, he he was at Philly last year, he was kind of struggling to get to the line in a very efficient manner. Uh, obviously, the rule changes uh, could have affected him. You know, can't say for sure, but it looks like he's found a way where he's able to get to the line. Uh, he's able to find a rhythm, and he's he was able to, you know, sink twelve of twelve in this game. Tyrese Maxey, he had twenty one points. Um, you know, shot very efficient, well, fifty percent from the field, forty percent from the three, and one hundred percent from the free throw line. Uh, not a huge concern that I had, but it was with Embiid. He had a couple. Uh, you know, bad turn, or not necessarily bad turnovers, but uh, turnovers that you wish that you had back. He was uh, stumbling a lot. Uh, He hit the deck a couple times, which not not majorly wasn't like high impact, but he hit his elbows a couple times. So he had 26 points, uh, 5 assists, or 15 rebounds, sorry, Uh, but he did have 6 turnovers. uh, So his plus minus uh, was A-13, but uh, I don't think that reflects the entire game of what he was actually able to bring a lot of attention. Obviously he was uh, commanding a lot of double teams and that allowed James Harden to uh, attack those closeouts that did come late and, or hit, um, you know, shooters like, uh, you know, Tobias Harris had three, uh, three points that he was able to make. Uh, obviously he was able to make five Tyrese Maxey was able to uh, hit a couple as well. And, we got to see some of the signings that they were able to bring um, during the offseason, which uh, particularly what a lot of people were talking about was PJ Tucker. Um, I think he was he's a really really nice fit and really someone that they needed. Someone who was able to defend, someone who was able to uh, shoot the three at, at a, you know an efficient rate. Although he didn't make any this game, I think once he, he you know uh, is comfortable with this offense and how they run it. I feel like alongside the chemistry that he already has with Harden, I feel like he'll be a great piece uh, for the 76ers team. Now, for the, uh, the Boston Celtics, the big concern for me personally was how would they operate with their new head coach. I don't know how would it be a completely new offense, or would he just run what they had before and just continue what they were doing already? And they, the, the top two guys did absolutely amazing. Jason Tatum, Jason Brown, they came out guns blazing. They were really, really aggressive early on. And it shows in the numbers. Uh, Jason Tatum had 35 points, four assists, and 12 rebounds. Jalen Brown also had 35 points. Uh, you know two assists three rebounds Um, both of them were uh, very efficient from the field um, but struggled a little bit from three Uh, Tatum with two of seven with uh, 28.6 percent from three and Jalen Brown had four of 12 which is a 33.3 percent from three now a really big uh I don't know if you could say surprise Um, at least for me initially was that they decided to start Derek White instead of having Malcolm Brogdon start. Now, I think this can potentially fluctuate throughout the season. Um because Brogdon was able to come off the bench and he had 16 points and four assists. Uh he didn't make any threes, but he shot really really efficiently from the field. Um Grant Williams also came off the bench with 15 points and ultimately it was their bench. Um for the celtics that were able to help them come away with a win um the the bench for the 76ers uh, outside of Dante and melton uh, who only came away with five points uh, were not efficient uh, whatsoever uh, they had a total of 11 points off the bench for the 76ers five from melton one from house three from yang and two from Montrez Harrell so it's it'll be hard to win uh, a lot of games if your team is only you know getting 11 points off your bench with the other team with just two players getting uh, 31 points but in total with 34 points it's hard to uh, make up that discrepancy and especially if the top two of the other team both drop 35 it'll, it'll just be hard to win games um, but I think for the most part, you know, the Celtics look good. I'm not hugely concerned after watching this game with Philadelphia. You know, you're playing one of the, champion, uh, the championship favorites in the Celtics, so if I was a Philadelphia 76ers fan, I would not be worried. In fact, I would feel a lot more comfortable, actually, uh, you know, despite, you know, Embiid having, at least for his standards, a uh, relatively, you know, mediocre game. Uh, you were able to have James Harden come out, play really, really well, really, really efficiently. And at least for your starting five, you guys played really, really well. Um, So I think for the the Sixers, you can come away with confidence, I think. Uh, It's just a little bit of concerns for your bench and who really will be playing those key minutes. Uh, Because one thing is that for those who did not know or have not seen the box score t saibo did play but had no stats um but he did play uh i think 23 seconds so not even a full minute um so he's kind of fallen out of the rotation uh despite him being a phenomenal defender now for the second game for the nba we have the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Golden State Warriors. Now, um, this was really, really interesting because we did see during the preseason that they did uh, experiment with Westbrook coming off the bench. Uh, for this game, he did start in the starting lineup. Um, and the starting five was relatively decent. Uh, if we read uh, if I were to uh, you know tell you guys the full box score, uh, you have LeBron James. 31 points, uh, 8 assists, and 14 rebounds. Anthony Davis, 27 points, uh, 6 rebounds, 4 steals. And Russell Westbrook with 19 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, but 4 turnovers. And uh, the biggest concern with this team, you know, obviously outside of how the team is already constructed, you know, with the lack of shooters, the lack of wing defenders, is Uh um the the turnovers. This team in total had a total of twenty-one turnovers. That's that's a lot. That's hard to you know recover from if you're you know giving up the ball that much. Luckily they're able to keep it relatively close, you know relatively, you know, with the Warriors also turning over the ball eighteen times. But with your top 3 guys having 3 for Davis, 5 for James and 4 for Westbrook. That's 12 turnovers between your you know your top 3 guys. That's that's hard to deal with. Um so the big thing is Anthony Davis is now playing the 5. Uh you know with you know alongside James and Westbrook and then Lonnie Walker and Patrick Beverly came into the starting lineup this game, so it's interesting to see that now we're having Anthony Davis play a four, the four or the, sorry, the five position, which isn't the position that he uh, likes to play, and in addition to that, it isn't the position that he played when they initially won the championship back in twenty twenty. I think for uh, Not only to make this team better, especially on the defensive end, but to keep Anthony Davis healthier throughout the season. I think it'll be better for him to play the four and then have a scrappier uh, defensive rebounding kind of uh, five alongside him. Now, unfortunately, on their roster, I don't think they really have that kind of guy. So it kind of forces Davis to play that five position. Hopefully, he'll be able to stay healthy And as I mentioned last episode, the success of this team is dictated by Davis and how healthy he can be and how well he plays. Um, I think based off of Westbrook's performance this game, uh, I think you can wait to see if you want to pull the trigger and decide to trade him away. But with the Warriors obviously being the champions last season, uh, I'm not I wouldn't be terribly disappointed by this loss, but I would be concerned going forward, especially around the mid-season, maybe three fourths of the way through the season. If Davis continues to play the five and he's banging down low uh, with centers, power forwards, whoever that may be. So hopefully Anthony Davis can stay healthy and we can see the Lakers be a more competitive team and potentially make the play in or the playoffs uh, in the postseason. Now, the Warriors, they played really, really well as well. Obviously, they came away with the win, and they just look really, really um, mashed, and the chemistry is still there, despite the small altercation that they had between Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. Now, Steph Curry, he dropped 33 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds. He did have 4 steals, uh, but he did shoot 4 of 13 from 3. I'm not too worried. It is the first game of the season uh for him i don't think i would be terribly worried about his efficiency from 3 i think it'll eventually uh average out with his efficiency but we'll see throughout the season um but i wouldn't be terribly worried about that andrew wiggins who did sign a big contract a big extension as well he was able to drop 20 points uh 6 rebounds 4 assists uh he was able to knock down 4 of 7 from 3 8 of 14 from the field. Wasn't able to shoot any free throws, but he did end the game with a plus 25. So he looks to be the perfect wing for this team alongside Klay Thompson, who dropped 18 points, three assists, two rebounds, shot two of six from three, six of 13 from two, or from the field, I'm sorry. But I think with Curry, with Clay, with Wiggins, with Draymond, with Kevon Looney, that starting five, uh, they just mesh so well together with your, you know, your defensive wings who can who can spread the floor, shoot the three, and you know, Draymond Green, who's like the defensive mastermind, and then Curry, who's that offensive gear. I think is just a really, really great team. Obviously, because they won the championship, but hopefully, we can see James Wiseman throughout the season too. Uh, kind of find his role and potentially come and uh into the starting lineup. He came away in this game with eight points and seven rebounds. Did come away with a block, but um, his plus minus was a minus eleven. So hopefully he can come away with learning more on uh, defensive rotations. And and I'm I'm hoping that Draymond Green can instill that uh, into the young fellow. Now Jordan Poole Uh, He came off the bench. He had 12 points, 7 assists, 2 steals, uh, 2 of 9 from 3, and 4 of 15 from the field. So, you know, pretty inefficient. That's 26.7 from the field and 22.2% from 3. So not the greatest outing for Jordan Poole. Hopefully, uh, seeing obviously as it was, uh, same thing that we said for Curry. Because it's the first season of the game, I'm hoping that Jordan Poole can, uh, you know, you know, find his, you know, footing again with the pace of the NBA once again. You know, it, it was, you know, they had a long uh, run to the championship, so they played really, really late into the year. And so hopefully they can, you know, uh, rest, recuperate, find their footing again, and hopefully come out uh, their next game and be, who you know, who, who we know who they are, obviously. Jordan Poole obviously also signing a, big Extension as well, and it does beg the question on what will happen to Draymond Green at the end of the season. Will he re-sign with the Warriors on a smaller deal, or will he go out and sign with another team, which uh, could, you know, uh, cause some problems on the defensive end for this team, losing a guy like Green, who's like that communicator, that that defensive guru guru for them. So, hopefully. Uh, you know maybe we'll see some pieces be moved to open up some you know some cap space some salary but um, obviously that's something that we can be concerned with a little more close to the trade deadline or in what i think will happen uh, will be the off season so in the nba it has started off really 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 great honestly we see we see both of the two finals teams coming out with two wins, both teams playing uh really, really well. Uh so it looks like they could both team both of these teams could uh, both look like they are ready to make another run to the finals. Um uh, and I'm not mad if you're picking any of these two teams, but if you are the Sixers, I would not be too worried either. I think you guys are still a great team as well. And James Harden looks like he's coming back into his own once again. Now, we're going to be talking about... (sighs) (sighs) This hurts to talk about for me as a Seattle fan, but we're going to be talking about the Monday night football game between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Denver Broncos in a 19-16 overtime win for the Chargers. I don't remember exactly if it was last episode or the episode before, but we were talking about new head coaches and the concern that we had uh for that team. Whether I believe that during that episode I said a lot of people are blaming Russ for you know, the struggles that they're having on the offensive end. But I was pointing out how Nathaniel Hackett coming in. Was making wasn't you know having great clock management, you know, they were being penalized a bunch, which was another continuation that we saw in this game as well. However, uh, if we look at the box score for Russ during this game, he threw for 188 yards, uh, a touchdown was 15 of 28, uh, was sacked four times. But had a QBR rating of 86.6. He was able to rush for 23 yards on four attempts. But that doesn't show the full uh story of what actually happened. You now, um, I'm hoping that I can pull this up. And give you the exact numbers of what happened. But um let me see for a second um unfortunately i can't seem to find how to do this on pro football reference maybe i can do it on his actual page um because i want to see how russ played in the um, second half of the game, I believe. Uh, I can't seem to find it exactly, but uh, if you weren't able to watch Monday Night Football, the Denver Broncos had a 10-0 lead after the first quarter, in which the Chargers were able to respond, closing that lead to a three-point uh, a three point deficit by halftime. At this point, Russ is playing relatively well. He's, he's, you know, distributing the ball. He's passing to his receivers, his tight ends, his running backs. They're able to run and and march down the field and get, you know, some points out of it. However, in the second half, Russ, I don't know what it was, whether it was, you know, he he just, uh, the adjustments that you know state coach Staley made on that defensive end, whether it was you know Russ not making adjustments on the offensive line just leaving blitzers you know unblocked down the middle but uh I can't find the exact uh statistics, but they did mention it after in the post uh game uh show in which Russ was he threw i believe uh you know. Don't come at me if I'm wrong. I think it was 11 yards on like four of 13, or so, some some something like that. It was like under under like 50 yards of throwing throughout the second half. And this was one of those games where he played so well in that first half. And that second half, you have to be able to close out that game. You had you guys came out with a 10 point lead. You guys were playing really really well in fact especially on that defensive end they are that broncos defense has have you know they've been phenomenal holding teams like under 20 points consistently um it's just that they were they weren't able to close the deal and this kind of this kind of begged the question uh or an idea that i've been having for a while now, I really didn't have a game or you know a coach player tandem that I could really associate this with and that is I don't this could be a hot take in fact um what is more important to have uh, is it a franchise quarterback or is it a good head coach like a a a top tier head coach which is more important to have if you're trying to win now the no brainer answer would be to get a franchise quarterback. You can always hire and look into getting uh, new head coaches, whether they're unproven or proven, but it's so much harder to find that guy, that dude that can win Super Bowls for you, you know, at the franchise level, whether it's, you know, like a Pat Mahomes or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert, whoever that may be. No brainer answer would be to get a franchise quarterback. But this kind of got me thinking, and this is my opinion on this whole thing. If your goal is to win a Super Bowl, which I believe most teams are, you need to have a franchise quarterback. I don't think that that is a question at all. I don't think that is a debate. I think you need to have at least someone in the top 10, top 15 at the very least especially in this day and age where it's more offensively oriented games, where you have to, you know, you have to score most of the time 20-plus. You need a quarterback who can throw down the field when you need it, make plays throughout the game. However, I don't think that a, a quarterback that is good, even potentially franchise-level, can overcome a bad head coach. On the flip side, if you have a great head coach, you know, top 10, top 15, we'll keep it top 10 just for discussion purposes. If you have a top 10 head coach in the league and you have a mediocre, below-average quarterback, the head coach can, can... uh, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? A head coach can make up for a lack of talent at the quarterback position, whether it's through scheme, whether it's through, you know, play calling, whatever the case may be. A head coach can compensate for a lack of talent at the quarterback position, but a franchise quarterback, a top 10 quarterback cannot compensate for a bad head coach the reason I say that is the coach is so much more than just the offensive end it's defensive schemes whether it's you know uh uh, defensive matchups defensive play calling same thing with the offensive end as well you know obviously the quarterback can make audibles adjustments can you know potentially make play calls as well but it's so much harder to make up for a bad head coach, and I think a great example is the Seattle Seahawks and the Denver Broncos. Now we can argue at this stage of his career whether Russell Wilson is a you know a top ten quarterback or not, but for sure when he was at Seattle, we knew him as a franchise quarterback. But and we know P. Carroll, whether it is now or when definitely when he was winning with Russ and had went, had those two Super Bowl runs, he was a top-tier coach. And Pete Carroll has a 50... Or they're 3-3 three and, three and have a better record than the 2-4 Denver Broncos. I'm just saying, that might be a hot take, but I think that you need to have... Talent at both of those positions, at the coaching position as well as the quarterback position, and the, that that I think there's that, that also begs the question for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Yes, Bill Belichick, quote unquote, you know, made Tom Brady in the sense that he drafted him, he put him in, he started him, he was able to make, you know, his plays because Bill Belichick gave him the freedom to but people are also saying tom brady's the goat he went to Tampa bay as well and you know won a championship without belichick but i think with both them together that is the reason why they were so successful together and they were able to make a dynasty and i'm not saying todd bowles is a, uh, uh, or i believe is oh no, no eric Bieniemy. i'm sorry i'm not saying you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the coaches that they have now are terrible, but it's just that it shows that when you have talent at both the quarterback and the coaching position, you guys can make consistent success, you know, be produced, and that shows, you know, Kansas City Chiefs, continuous AFC, you know, uh, uh, or championship contenders with Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid, Josh Allen, And Sean McDermott, uh, you know, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. We see it throughout history. You need to have talent at both of those positions. But a, a lack of talent at the coaching position cannot be made up for with a franchise quarterback, at least on a consistent basis. Now, there may be anomalies throughout, you know, history and time where one quarterback was able to make up for a lack of, you know, talent at that coaching position. But I think it's much harder to do than it is for a coach to make up for a lack of talent at the quarterback position. Now speaking of uh Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen, they both faced off against each other uh in Arrowhead with Buffalo Bills coming away with 24 to 20 win. Now this was really really interesting. Both teams did not score until the second quarter. And that was with Josh Allen, who threw for 329 yards on 27-40. Uh, He had three touchdowns and had a 117.6 QER. On the other hand, Pat Mahomes had a 338-yard outing, uh, two touchdowns, but had two interceptions. Um and an 85.2 QBR. Now, uh, this was really, really, really interesting, especially towards the end of the game, which is really where I want to be talking about. And that is, at the very end, Josh Allen was, was given the ball, and I believe that they had around th- four to three minutes left on the clock. They were able to go all the way down, and they were able to end with a touchdown to Dawson Knox uh on the you know towards the middle uh sideline of the end zone and that gave them uh the 4 point lead now obviously we saw uh Patrick Mahomes during the, uh when they faced against the Buffalo Bills last season during the postseason where they had 13 seconds, they were able to go all the way and get a uh, a field goal to tie the game and send it to overtime and ultimately win that game in overtime with a touchdown to Travis Kelsey. So me, obviously, you know, having flashbacks to that moment with a lot more time on the clock was thinking, oh, you know, Pat, Patrick Mahomes is going to come out and he's going to go down the field and he's going to and score a touchdown, and, and you know, take another game out of, you know, the Buffalo Bills' nose. But then we saw him throw a uh, a ball to the rookie, I believe, Sky Moore. And at the very end of the game, or it wasn't the very, very end of the game, per se, um, but Obviously, it was a game-sealing play, but uh, he threw a crucial interception to, I believe, Taron Johnson to seal the game. And the reason why I want to talk about this play so much is it, it, it's 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 you have two guys on that offensive end. Obviously, Travis Kelsey, who caught um, eight balls for 108 yards. But then you had Juju Smith-Schuster, who had five receptions for 113 yards. Two guys that were having great days. And he didn't look both their ways during that last play. Now, he also had a... a, 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 a I don't know if I can go as far as saying questionable play. But a throw to uh, uh, Marquise Valdez-Gantling. Or it was more of like a, a a jump ball to him, and instead of, you know, obviously if that's you know your your top player, whether that's like Kelsey, or obviously in this game, you know, Smith Schuster, or like if you were Josh Allen throwing it up to like Stephon Diggs, and you give him your you know your best player a chance to make a play on the ball, that's understandable. But with MVS, who's like your third fourth option on that team for you to throw a jump ball to him at a crucial moment like that that's just because he mvs is more of a speed guy than he is a a a jump ball kind of dude and obviously most of you know the defense is gonna know on a, a crucial play like that you know Kelsey is most likely going to get the ball. But for that kind of play to come out, especially with Juju Smith-Schuster having a game that he he did, and, and you know, Kelsey, obviously, we know who he is, I feel like that was a, another crucial mistake that I don't think a lot of people will be talking about because of the interception that he threw at the very end of the game. Now, despite the loss to the Bills, I don't think that you can immediately say Josh Allen is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes based off of this win. I don't think whether whether Josh Allen lost or won this game, it was either one was not going to put him any higher than Patrick Mahomes, at least on my personal list. Because we saw that that happened throughout the season. Uh, of last season, you know, which... They lost during the postseason to Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes has a resume that we already know has, is established. It's, it's not in question. We don't have to project that for him like we do with Josh Allen. We think that he's going to win the MVP. We see him winning a championship later down the road. And I think that's really what di- differentiates Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Now, if we're just talking about pure talent... That could, that's a whole different discussion that one can have, but if we're just talking about better player in, in in the grand scheme of things in their career and what they have accomplished in this league, it is. It, I don't think I don't think it's any question that it should be Patrick Mahomes. And if you're pondering that for any reason, tell me what Josh Allen has done that Patrick Mahomes hasn't, and then on the flip side. Tell me what Patrick Mahomes has done that Josh Allen hasn't. I think once Allen builds his resume, whether it's a MVP, whether it's a championship, whatever the case may be, I think that's when we can really have a discussion between these two players on an equal playing field. But from a talent standpoint, as I mentioned before, that is definitely a discussion that one can have. But I think with no questions asked, Patrick Mahomes is still the better quarterback despite losing this game, and it will really prove, uh, it will really have, he will really have to prove that he is really that dude, um, especially during the postseason, and obviously in the upcoming weeks as well. Now for our final topic of this episode, we're going to be talking about the undefeated, still Philadelphia Eagles over Dallas Cowboys with a 26-17 to win. The big thing that i really wanted to see out of this game was out of jalen hurts specifically and that's because he's playing if not the best defense then one of the best defenses of the season so far and in the dallas cowboys who haven't outside of their first game haven't given out a 20 point plus outing to any team and so a lot of people were questioning Jalen Hurts and his ability to be in that um superstar category um or a franchise category because he really hadn't played against a bunch of great defenses. Now, what was I wasn't looking for Hurts to play and throw for like you know 350 yards and like three touchdowns. But I was looking for him to command that offense, be a a leader in that locker room, and ultimately will them to a win. And the biggest thing is, if you look at the box score, he only threw for 155 yards and two touchdowns, was 15 of 25, and a QBR of 104.6. Now on the ground, he ran nine times for 27 yards, um... And he, most importantly, he had one fumble, but it was not a turnover with uh, Jason Kelsey getting the recovery. And what was really, really, I guess, uh, impactful to me during this game was when uh, they had a, you know, a, I believe it was a, a, uh 22 10 lead, and then I oh don't know. Well, it was, um, I don't remember exactly when it was, um, but Philadelphia, or, or I'm sorry, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, they came down and Ezekiel Elliott rushed in for a touchdown, and immediately off of that next drive. Um, Jalen Hurts was able to bring his offense and score once again, and just uh, or, or I'm sorry, score more points immediately and extend their lead. And that was really, really important for me because it showed that, like, despite them giving up the touchdown, despite them, uh, uh you know, losing their or I guess cutting their lead, they were able to respond. And that offense was able to uh, uh, be confident in who they were and their their ability to execute in that key moment where they were able to respond and be like, hey, you guys just scored. Well, let us score again, so you have to score again. You have to. And it was just applying the pressure on Cooper Rush, especially to command another drive to score once again. I think another thing that people aren't talking about enough is this defense and the number of takeaways that they're able to generate uh, throughout the game. Uh, Dallas turned the ball over three times. Um, Cooper Rush, uh, he threw three interceptions, and that really changed the game, especially early on when, when those were being thrown. One of them, I don't think you can say was his fault, but the other two, I definitely think you can... Put it on him. It was just hard uh, for Dallas to uh, generate turnovers against this team because um, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles have only turned the ball over or given the ball away two times. I think they're the team that is leading the league in turnovers to giveaways. Their ability to take the ball away. Without giving the ball to the other team, it is staggering. They're able to um, keep the ball and take the ball away from the team, giving them short yardage, short fields, and that allows their, you know, their their offense to have more confidence, and, and they're able to score points. And the defense, obviously, they're going to be confident when they're generating those kind of takeaways. Um, are they? in that conversation to be Super Bowl contenders. I think that has to be asked at this point, especially after we saw Jalen Hurts, although he didn't flourish and drop like 250-plus against this defense, I think it does put them in that conversation to make the NFC Championship. I think that they are definitely one of, if not the best team in this league right now. Um, They're on a hot streak, Obviously, with them being undefeated still, and it, it, I guess it, it makes me curious to see how far this team can go, and uh, how they can execute down the stretch, uh, and really when they're in a kind of shootout game, if Jalen Hurts can really, uh, um, come in to that moment and pull his team to a win. And so I think it's going to be really, really interesting for Week 7 and, you know, the, the games that we'll see, especially obviously with the NBA starting now. But I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Stay positive, stay motivated. Peace out.